I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello Australia, welcome to My Millennial Money. I'm Glenn James and this guy is... John Pigeon. And welcome to the podcast. If you're a new listener, thanks for dropping by, grab a seat, make yourself at home. And if you're an old hand, you know the deal. Sit down, strap in and uh, we'll be right onto it. Hey uh, John, lots going on in recent uh, days even. Mm. We're going to talk about the Vic government entering the property market. Yes. We're going to talk about servicing rates and we're going to talk about some crypto, some super stapling, some hex, and we'll see if we can get ourselves into some trouble along the way. You ready to have a chat, John? Let's do it. Okay, so John, uh, last week the Victorian government had an announcement and they announced the Home Buyer Fund and they allocated $500 million to this initiative. Yes, a lot of coin, isn't it? It is. And the Victorian government wants to enter the property market. Well, I thought they were already in it. Well, they've got a lot, don't they? <laughs> Obviously, they want more. They want more. So, this was a shock announcement. Like, you didn't see it on your horizon, did you? No. Uh, I, I, I don't know many people who, like it wasn't even leaked. It was just this yeah. um, bang. bang. Mm. So, do you want to walk us through some um, of the concepts of the home buyer fund? And if you do want more information, you know, the SRO website, if you live in Victoria, yeah. lots of information. We're just going to be kind of uh, skirting around that today. Mm. Uh, but what is it? So, yeah, essentially, like it's another first homeowner incentive to get people into the market and to help them out. Now, they, they say that you you don't have to be a first home buyer, but you just can't already own a home. So, there's not many of those that aren't first home buyers in that situation. So, it's essentially a first home buyer um, stimulus. So, you put down your 5% deposit and they will basically buy in 25% of that total purchase price. So they'll have ownership of 25% of your uh, title and you go and borrow at a 70% loan to value ratio. So that's the high level number. Um, it caps out at 950 as a purchase price in Melbourne and now Geelong, which is interesting to see that Geelong's now one of the big players. Uh, and the rest of Victoria, it caps out at 600. So, yeah. Yeah, and there is a list of regional suburbs that are on that list. Mm. Uh, and just as an FYI, everyone, John was crapping on about Geelong ages ago. <laughs> and that's kind of when you talk to people in the property world, you know, when they say something, it's usually not in mainstream. So, that's anyway. So, John had been crapping on about Geelong uh, for some time. But- there's a couple of uh, eligibility criterias. So, we've talked about the uh, the location. Yeah. What else do you have to do to uh, make the glove fit? Don't know. Okay. <laughs> well, you have to have an income of $125,000 per annum or less and you must live in the property. So, this isn't to do a JV with the Victorian government to buy investment properties. No. Um, you, and this is the thing, right, guys? I'm all for this type of stuff and you just have to walk down the road with your plans for something and then see what you can plug into your plans. Yeah. If it comes along, it's a bonus, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Now, for eligible Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander home buyers, um, the contribution is 35% and there is a minimum deposit required of 3.5%. Mm. I guess the whole thing, John, each year... Uh, you have to do some annual paperwork. 
if you want to do that. Uh, you have to provide a certificate of currency if you, for your building insurance and you have to look after the place. Yeah. Yeah. So the rules don't change in terms of home home ownership. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, it's not a free lunch. It's, it's the government's way to help you into the market. However, I suppose the... Um, uh, what would you call it? If you're if you're just questioning why they're doing it, um, I suppose the first thing you would say is, well, if um, if property prices are rising, then they're taking advantage to the tune of a quarter of your property value, aren't they? Twenty five percent ownership. Um, so yeah, they how and and the devil's in the de- detail, but mm. how this plays out when someone wants to sell the property or refinance the government out of it, um, how the valuation's assessed. Now, when you sell the property, it's obviously sold for what it's sold for, but when someone wants to say, right, I'm, I'm in a position now, I can buy the government out, which sounds a big deal, doesn't it? Mm. 25%, um, how are we valuing this? be interesting to see what they come up with. Is it, um, is it based on the state revenue? Is it, uh, is it three sworn valuations by independence? Is it bank? Is it real estate? Yeah, time will tell. Um, and there are participating lenders uh, at the moment. Uh, Bank Australia and Bendigo were the ones on the pilot program, but it won't take long for the other players to, um, to organise that. And you're probably best to uh, speak with your mortgage broker because mm. they should be above this detail more. Um, I will say um, there's only 3,000 households that uh, are within the scheme, yeah. but I would imagine it would be a rolling 3,000 people. Yeah. So, so if you if you max it and say I haven't got a calculator, but three thousand by say nine hundred and fifty thousand, um, when they're when they're dedicating a pool of funds to it, if if a lot of the um, recipients are around that six hundred K mark, they'll probably continue to roll it out, won't they? Yeah, or what they'll do if someone comes into the program and then exits, um, it just gives space for another person to use the program. Mm. So I would imagine it is a rolling 3,000. Yeah. And like anything, this is announcement has just been announced last yeah. week. Uh, it's the 11th of October as we're recording this. So it could change and they will finesse that. But I think I just want to get across the point that, you know, it might not be for everybody and that's okay. Mm. Um you know, a lot of people might be like, oh, socialists, you know, buying yeah. house, whatever. I think it does come back to, John, governments, particularly in Australia, you know, the whole Australian property market, I think is just propped up by governments everywhere, which way you cut it. Totally. It just comes back to a supply and demand issue. Yeah. And, and you've got to be asking yourself, why would I do it? Why would I take up a scheme like this? Um, like there's a 5% low deposit scheme, which I think is a better option than something like this. Uh, but you, you're basically sitting there saying, do I take up something like this if I qualify? Uh, my servicing, the, the servicing criteria is pretty low, isn't it? Like 125 grand, did you say? So Your income, yeah. So yeah, you may not be able to borrow 900,000 anyway. Um, so is it better off taking into account something like this versus trying to save your 10% and being able to borrow only 500K? Well, it's like the uh, federal government first home loan deposit scheme with a, they capped it when they first announced it at 10,000 people. Mm. We've got to understand, guys, some of these announcements are partially political yeah, um, and some are actually genuinely helpful. Uh, but I would hypothesise that the strings that are attached to this might be just too hard basket for some people. Could be. Like there are there are provisions there if you receive an inheritance or a windfall of money over, um, I think it was ten thousand mm. dollars. You've got to start repaying the high buy funds. The question is, mm-hmm. are New South Wales going to follow? I can't see it happening, and the reason why I believe is the new Premier, Dom Perrottet, mm-hmm. he wants to do a stamp duty overhaul and move yeah. from that once off and yeah. do the land tax thing. Which is what they've been trying to push. Mm. If he continues that push, then that might get through. But they wanted to make that national. So they were pushing on behalf of the other other states. But Sydney's more expensive than Melbourne. Yeah, but you've got to think like all the crap that we've been through with all the states at the moment, with the national cabinet and borders closing, 
as if you're going to get the state premiers to come and agree on a national stamp. Like it's no, not happening. It's a non-starter. No. They're kicking the can down yeah. for quite a while, aren't they? But uh, yeah, the stamp duty land tax, we've spoken about it before. It's an um, interesting one. And there's two sides of the fence for that one is if an owner-occupier, you're better off to take the no stamp duty. If, you, if you're an investor, then you've got to be really wary of what the land tax will do. Yeah, so those in Victoria... Um, you know, these schemes, like, I don't think some basic principles are forgotten or need to be looked over when you're looking at these schemes. Like, I want you to not have any consumer debt, like clean up your credit cards, your personal loans, like you've got to do all this stuff before you even entertain buying a house. You've got to go, okay, where do we want to live? Do we want to live right in town? Okay, well, yep. if we want to live right in town... Are we saving up $3 million and buying a house or are we going to live in an apartment? And then yeah. it's just, it always goes down to cascade down your goals. Yeah. And I was sitting here this morning, or well not here, but at home, thinking about, well, um, I put my nephew Jack in this position. He's still at uni, but he's eligible to buy a home because he's over 18. Uh, do we, does he go into a JV with the government or does he go into a JV with his uncle or, or someone else that can get him into a property faster than he can himself. And that's really the question. Do we, yeah. do we give up 25% of the pie to the government that we don't know, although we sort of do know, or 25 to a friend or family? Well, it's interesting, John, because I would probably say I'm only looking at this scheme if I want to buy a house to live in long term. Mm. So, I'm not dicking around with the government if I want to get into the market and, mm. you know, live in it for 12 months and then sell it and flip it. Like, I think it's a legitimate. We want to buy a house. We want to live in it long term. Sure. Along the way, we'll tick the government annual check boxes and then we'll refire, get out of that scheme if we pay yep. it down or have more money come in. Mm. But I just don't think we're using this as a leapfrog strategy. No. no. And sure, there's always going to be uh, ways to go through loopholes and, you know, live in it for 10 minutes and do all this yeah. stuff. But I really think, you know, I always sound like a broken record. We've got to look at our strategy, what's our goals, and then see what we can plug in along the way. Yeah. And if the strategy is to buy a house as an investment property in regional Victoria and rent in town, we'll forget about this incentive from the state government. Mm. No, that's right. You've got to live in it. But a lot of a lot of people cannot afford 900, 950k homes in Melbourne or Geelong. Mm. So that gives them the opportunity to get into that sort of property uh, as long as they can handle the mortgage and it fits with their strategy. So we'll, re we'll recrap or recap, whatever we want to say. <laughs> um, you have to save a 5% deposit, which is interestingly enough, John, in my book, and thank you for everybody. I thought I'd just slid in a little thank you plug. Very nice. Um, it has arrived. I say 5% is your magical number. Before you start doing anything, mm. get a vibe of your purchase price. Unless you've got a parental guarantee, like you need that 5%. Mm. So, if you want to buy a $600,000 house, 30 grand. You need to get that 30 grand um, behind you yeah. as a starting point. Then once you get that 5%, Okay, now we go speak to a mortgage broker and say, okay, well, should we pay a bit of lender's mortgage insurance or should we go down this government route or should we try and get the first home loan deposit scheme, the federal thing? So, again, it, this stuff changes all the time and when I wrote the book, this wasn't there. So No, it's out of just, date. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> Send your stuff back to Amazon, everyone. So, you have to save 5%. State of Victoria kicks in 25%. And then you borrow the remaining 70% from approved lenders. Uh, it has to be in a location that's on their magical list. You must have an income of 125K or less. You must live in the property. You must complete annual reviews. Got to have your building insurance, look after the property. Uh, and don't whinge if they audit you and you've done something wrong or whatever, because you know we all have to lay in the bed we make for ourselves or something like that, whatever Slightly, that saying is. Yeah. Now, we'll move along. But before we do, I just want to throw to Josh DeBuell in Western Australia, John. Oh, yes. So, hello, everyone over in Perth. And we still loved uh, you as part of the tour. And that was actually, I'm not going to lie, that was a fun night. Perth. It was. Yeah. It was interesting. It, it took a turn, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think it was about halfway through when um, 
when people brought their mums and their mums were half cut. <laughs> and But uh, yeah, so Josh DeBuell is a mortgage broker over in Perth, Finex. Him and his team help all our Perth listeners. Uh, if you do want to uh, review your mortgage requirements in Perth, go to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help. We can connect you to Josh. Because um, a lot of people are thinking, and I certainly when I was reading this, I was thinking, oh, this is Keystart similar. So let's hear this recording from Josh uh, explaining how it works in Western Australia. Hi, Glenn. Thanks for having me on the show today. Just wanted to give you a little bit of information about what home buyers have over here in the WA Perth market. We have a lender over here unique to WA called Keystart, and they offer two different funding options to what the normal banks do over here for people buying a property to live in in WA. I guess that's the first thing. They only offer this to people that want to buy a home to live in, so it's owner-occupier loans only. They offer what we call a shared equity scheme. So this is a scheme where basically Keystart can have or own up to 30% of the property in conjunction with the new buyer. So it effectively means that the buyer will borrow 70% and own 70% of the property. It allows them to have a lower loan amount, which can assist with repayments. And then obviously Keystart and the government or Department of Housing will then own the other 30%. It does also mean though that at the end or when the client or the customer wants to sell the property, that Keystart will then obviously take 30% of that sale price in the future of the future value. So it does allow people to get into the market that might not necessarily be able to afford the full amount with obviously the shared ownership scheme, which is quite good. The other opportunity for funding that they offer is what we call a low deposit or low entry cost loan. So for anyone that wants to buy a property and own the property normally, like 100% ownership, they can do so through Keystart with only a 2% deposit. So over here in Perth, average sort of first home buyer homes around $400,000 and 2% on that is only $8,000. So it lowers the benchmark for how much savings they need to get into the market, which means they can stop renting uh, sooner, they can buy a property to live in and start paying off their own mortgage. The other advantage to Keystart as well is they don't charge lenders mortgage insurance even with such a small deposit. So you can go in with just your 2% and you don't have to worry about adding the mortgage insurance on top of your loan as well. Again, this is a huge saving on that same example of $400,000. You'd be looking at you know just under $10,000 that a normal uh, bank would charge and add on to your loan. So you weigh up the pros and cons. Obviously, a lot of people always ask us, okay, so what's the catch? This sounds too good to be true. The only sort of catch, I guess you could say with Keystart is their interest rate is a little bit higher. It's sort of in line with the bank's standard variables. It's 4.54% currently, which obviously means the repayments on the loan would be a little bit higher as well. So you compare that same sort of figure I said before of $400,000 if someone was to buy a house, they would then have repayments approximately, you know, four to $500 a month higher than what they would be with, with a major bank. So it's not a long-term um, sort of ideal scenario. We generally like to see our clients get into Keystart to get them out of the rental market, be with them for sort of two to three years and then look to refinance them to a major bank. So for the long-term, um, their repayment's a little bit lower, a little bit more manageable. And again, they can have their, their own ownership of their own home. Hope that helps your listeners. If you need anything else, just reach out. Happy to help. All right. Thanks, Josh, for that. So, well, as you Josh. can see, John, very similar. It's like the the two premiers, Dan Andrews and Mark McGowan, have gone, hey, how are you doing property over there in Perth? Let's hook up. And uh, yeah, so similar undertones. And you can hear from Josh, this isn't a, like it is a bit longer term strategy. Like mm. use that, pay it down refire with another lender and then you're on your way. Yeah. So, um, John, also last week, servicing rates, we did talk about this a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, Mm. different banks have different servicing rates. So, ultimately, APRA says that banks have to apply a buffer of 2.5% above the standard rate. So, if, um, you know, if rates increase you know, that you've got to have room to be able to afford a rate increase. Now, the Australian Prudential Regulation Authority or APRA have increased that buffer to 3%. So, it just means that as a minimum, any interest rates that the banks charge when they calculate what your income is and your expenses, they have to be confident that you can afford effectively a 3% pay increase. Mm. Yes. Now, I was talking to a prominent mortgage broker on uh, Friday about this and he said, generally speaking, just factor in about a 5% reduction in servicing or borrowing capacity. He must be right because I've done some examples on 5% here, John. Have you? Yeah. So, 
under the new changes, and this is all to do with slowing the national housing market down. So if you borrowed $600,000 yesterday, under the new servicing things, you could borrow five seventy. So it could be about $30,000 mm. or 5% difference. Which is a bit of a game changer the lower you go. Mm. Like especially around that 400K mark where people have worked hard to get that savings rate up and, and they're good to go with their 10%. Um, all of a sudden, yeah, we're dropping from 400 to 380. Mm. Mightn't think it's much, but when it's a little bit slim pickings anyway then it can make a difference. And it is important to understand, guys, that, you know, this is the minimum. And when we talked about, and there was only probably two or three weeks ago, we talked about this in an episode, different banks will still have different thresholds for their own internal um, servicing and the risk that they want to take. Yeah, that's right. So, that's why it's so important more than ever to see a mortgage broker. And, And I was actually chatting to someone this morning about this, like they've got... 15k in cash and they've got an 18 car uh, 18k car loan so it, it might be the difference between paying down that car loan and not now that their servicing's been reduced uh, reduced by five percent yeah so it, it's just always going to be a, a bit of a dance with mm. the the strategy uh, because you know on balance residential real estate values have jumped 20 percent in the last 12 months mm. as an aggregate yeah uh, so, there you have it. It's a little bit newsy today, isn't it? Uh, John, in following on from that trend... Feeling like Sandra Sully. I know. We're in the new studio, guys, and I'm behind my desk, and you'll start to see it roll out on YouTube and on Instagram. If you could see it, I'm looking like I'm getting interviewed here. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I've got my command center. Uh, I got a letter in the mail the other day, John. Uh, super choice rules will change from 1 November. So, what this is about... You might remember a couple of uh, budgets ago, the government announced that you're able to staple your superannuation to your TFN. So, what that means is you might um, have three super funds for whatever reason, right? You might have an old one over there that you want to keep the insurance, but you've got a small cash amount in there and you've got your main one here and you can staple that main super fund. So, if you change jobs and do not elect a fund with your new employer, they can't just make a new one for you. Mm. They've got to send the money. They will request from the ATO your stapled details and the ATO will spit back your stapled account. So, it is going to uh, stop people like my sister having 17 super funds, you know, when she's 24 years old. So, Surprising it hasn't been done earlier. Yeah, it's such a good thing. And Mm. if you haven't already and you've been living under a rock, you've really got to go to the MyGov website, set up your Medicare profile, set up your ATO profile. Mm. Like it's just really good that all the information's there. In one spot, yeah. Uh, So it's it's more, I got this letter uh, because I employ people and you may have got the same. So from the 1st of November, if we employ a new staff member that don't elect a super fund, We have to then, and this is for all those who employ people, uh, we then have to request the stapled information from the ATO and there's a process there. But I will say, guys, I I looked on the ATO MyGov website today and it might only be because I've only got one fund, but I couldn't see anywhere that I could personally choose what the how to staple tick box or anything yeah. yeah unless it's if you've got three funds the one that's the most recent that's received contribution so i would imagine there'll be some work there and if you do have a couple of super funds maybe someone can open their mygov and see if you do have the option to staple one or if there's a button there and just let us know in the facebook group maybe your sister yeah maybe i'll have to um ask her All right, so there we have it. I think that's finished all the newsy stuff. Let's go to the sport or the weather. The weather, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Do you want to read that question at the bottom there, who that's from? We'll have a chat about crypto. That is from Chloe O'Neill. I'm looking at investing into crypto, but I'm very new and don't have much knowledge on how it works and what to look for when I'm purchasing. I'm currently with CoinSpot. Any tips or advice? What's your, like, what do you have crypto, John? No. I, I've got a CoinSpot account, yeah, but I've never verified it, so it's right, okay. technically not opened up yeah. to be able to use, so no. Yeah. So, I use myself, uh, I use CoinSpot myself. Mm. Uh, it's Australian. 
Uh, it might not be the cheapest in terms of fees, but apparently it is the most secured Australian wallet. So I, I think, again, this, is, this comes back to when people ask like, oh, what share broker should I use? Well, don't get your knickers in the knot about what broker. It's like saying to John, like, oh, I want to sell my house. What real estate agent should yeah. I sell? Well, let's work out, do you actually want to sell? And what's your plan? Yeah, and then we overall, plug in a broker that will just sort it out for us. So the concept or the asset class. Yeah. So you know, crypto it is a wild. It's a wild thing. Like, is it getting less wild though? It is, uh, but it's just so volatile. I mean, I have I have a, a small holding in Bitcoin, mm. and it's just it just swings and you yeah. know roundabouts, and it can, you know, in I think it was Ecuador, was it Ecuador somewhere like that announced a couple of weeks ago that they're allowing crypto as a national currency, right? Yeah. And it just plunged the price. Yeah. So, it's volatile. Uh, if anyone tells you that they know what's going to happen, run. Yeah. Like, they've got no idea. And do you think it'll continue to be volatile? I think so. I mean, until it's... And I don't know if, you know, Bitcoin's kind of the biggest in terms of market cap in the world at the moment, but I'm certainly not really buying things with crypto because if the price increases, you know, the next day after I've purchased something, yeah. I've got a good deal. But if the price decreases the next day, I could have paid 20% too much for my coffee. Yeah. yeah. And I just, I think we're still a long way off. Mm. Uh, I want to organize someone to come on and have a bit more of a, a discussion about this crypto uh, and Bitcoin and yeah, Ethereum and all that. But I'd like to tune in. The whole thing is, you know, I would say if you are looking to put money into alternate assets, whether it's, I don't know, collectible art that's an investment, whether it's a collectible car as an investment that you don't drive, whether it's precious metals or whatever, or crypto, I'm keeping that total allocation of my net worth at 10% or less. Mm. And I'd probably be going 2% with crypto. Yeah, okay. So, on the risk profile scale, mm. if at one end you've got cash, cash in the bank, mm. and then term deposit and then um, blue chip shares and real estate. Property. Yep. And yep. then speculative shares, speculative property. Yep. Um, Hedge funds. Yep. Bonds, where, where are they sitting Bonds there? are down near cash. So, you're going right, way back to the start for bonds. Yeah. ETF, similar? Uh, ETF, well, e again, ETF is just a structure. So that's Australian or international shares. So then your your bitcoins closer to gambling or well, it's funny. <laughs> I don't know if you saw it. Did you see in my book? No, I haven't finished okay. reading it yet. So for those who or started actually, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't expect you to. But people will see. I, I did this as a bit of a joke because I talked about cryptocurrency on a risk profile yep. thing. Yeah, and it was up the top. I think I did like um, it had in order. Um, gambling, lottery tickets, crypto. Like it's just all down there because no one knows, right? Mm. But I've got cryptocurrency. Mm. I don't have more than 2% of my net worth Yeah, because I want to be interested. I want to be plugged in. I want to learn how it works. I think, you know, the blockchain technology, that's yeah. what I'm getting at. All that stuff's here to stay, the general ledger yeah. or the public ledger, what general ledger. You can tell I was doing some, um, <laughs> yes. rep, uh, accounting. some tax accounting on the weekend. Um, the concepts are all here to stay. And I would encourage anyone to learn and get involved. But like anything, if you put 100% of your savings in one speculative asset mm. and it gets bust. flushed, like if you get flushed down the toilet, yeah. you're going to do your ass. But if you... If you're saying okay, less than five percent net or two percent or whatever of your of your worth to invest in something like that that is speculative, yeah, then what's the outcome going to be? If you if it takes off, you're not going to make a huge amount because of the low portion invested, and if it doesn't take off, then it's what you expected anyway. Yeah, and and that's it. It's it just all comes back to risk and return, mm. and. We know it is higher risk than buying an ETF of the A200 shares. Yeah. Like, it's just a fact. Mm. And it's just, I, I don't like the saying, I only put in what I'm prepared to lose because I'm not prepared to lose any of my money. No. I'm prepared to take on some risk. Yeah. Um, but, 
you know, you just need to know that don't be surprised if you open it one day and it's 30% lower. Yeah. And to be honest, I reckon, you know, all this stuff with share brokerage and, you know, stake of announced that they're doing $0 share trades or something on the ASX or $3 ones, um, you know, the ASX charged $2.50 to settle a trade. Mm. Um, so, we know it's a race to the bottom. Uh, Pearl are doing long-term hold where the fund managers are basically paying for the uh, for the trade or buying farm, I like to call it, uh, which is funds under management. Like, it's a race to the bottom in fees. The thing is, all these new crypto exchanges, you know, no one's talking about the brokerage for crypto at the moment because everyone's so hyped up that we can right. do it. If I was going to open a company tomorrow, it'd be bloody crypto exchange because yeah. just charge whatever you want for the brokerage. Yeah, no one cares. Yeah, it's like 1% brokerage or something like that. Mm. Like it's just, it's the wild west and you just really got to be careful. I'll tell you a story, John, and probably I, it's probably just for the people who know, and I'm not saying do this because the horse has bolted. Yes, I've got under 2% of my net worth in my CoinSpot account. I, you know, that thing with Dogecoin and Elon went to the, went to the moon and all that. I put $500 in Shib, which is Shiba Inu. You know, it's a type of dog. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm just going to put $500 in, like just a bit of a fun, like really small portion. Elon Musk tweeted a photo of his new Shiba Inu dog Mm. and the Shib coin just last week did something like 80% in two days. <laughs> it was it probably did more. Mm. So my little $500 went up to $1,800. Mm. And then I'm like, this is a sugar high. This is ridiculous. Yeah. This is just off the back of some billionaire's tweet. <laughs> I took a thousand out and put it back into Bitcoin. Mm. So I'm not dicking around with this stuff. Like it's literally to keep me educated in an upcoming mm. part of the money world as my role as a personal finance guy. Uh, I don't think Bitcoin, Ethereum and crypto, it's really a long-term wealth building thing for me. Um, but do you think it's here to stay? Like, oh, absolutely, like that's, yeah. that's a clear example that it was that was a purely an emotional drive of the price. Mm, yeah. So, Chloe, I don't know if um, – I'd probably say stay with CoinSpot. Uh, if it's not broken, don't fix it. That's a lot of problem with investors, isn't it, John? Mm. We try and fix things that aren't broken where we just go, no, it's working. Let's stop the FOMO. Let's stop the trying to get an edge or whatever. Yeah, I just think there's so much um, buzz out there about it. Mm. There's so much information that people have that FOMO or something. Yeah. Mm. But like anything, Chloe, uh, if you want to put your toe in, less than 2% of your net worth. So everything you own minus everything that you owe is your net worth. Now, if you're worth $100,000, and you might not be yet, loose numbers, you know, you might have some super, you might own your car, you might have some cash savings, 2% of $100,000 is $2,000. I'm certainly not digging around with more than $2,000 in this asset class. That's fair. And I'm actually, guys, going to do an M3X episode. So, if you want to subscribe to My Millennial Money Express, it's just me having 15-minute little rants almost. I'm actually going to talk about, John, uh, is it illegal for me to recommend people buy cryptocurrencies? Mm. You know the answer to that? I do. (laughs) So, you'll have to subscribe to My Millennial Money Express, everyone. So, Chloe, just just chill out, be inquisitive. Um, Don't sign up to some program that's $400 a month and they give you the edge. Like, just... Just understand. John, I'll get you to read this, but we'll have a quick break first. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Okay, we're back and I hope you 
had some fun with me ranting there, John, on the crypto stuff before the break. Yeah, that's interesting. So Lucy Retata, I hope I pronounced that correctly. Why do I pay $50 to $76 tax a month on my money in my super account? I hadn't paid attention before, but realize it's a large amount every month. On top of tax, I pay for my gross income and admin fee for the super. So thanks, Lucy. And that was in the My Millennial Money Facebook group. Um, Superannuation, fees. You know, we all pay fees, but there's two things in a super account that are not fees. Do you know what they are, John? No. Well, one of them Lucy's talking about. Yes. Which is tax. And the other one is your insurance premium. So if you are comparing your superannuation funds, ignore the insurance because you can just plug that in from anywhere with different retail insurances. So you can't compare insurances between the funds. It's not a fee of the super fund. And this other one that Lucy's alluding to is the contributions tax. Mm. Now, Lucy, every time your employer puts money in your super fund, the super fund take 15% of what goes in and sends it to the government for tax. Yep. So we know that that applies to whatever super fund you're in, whether you're in your own self-managed super fund, whether you're with Australian super, Aware super, Sun super, AMP, MLC, C bus, Host plus, do you drive a bus? All that stuff, like any super fund has to take 15% of pre-tax contributions or your superannuation guarantee of 10% and allocate that to the government. And this is the reason why superannuation is a long-term tax haven slash tax saving world. Because if you're earning money outside of super and paying 30% tax and you want to salary sacrifice some of your money to super, this is a leading question, John, Mm. but what's more, 30 or 15% tax? Well, generally speaking, you would rather pay 15% tax. That's right. Mm. But the kicker is I can't get my mitts on that money until preservation age. You're old. And at the moment, you're looking around age 60. We'll just call it age 60. Mm. You stop working, you can grab that money at age 60. Yeah. So, Lucy, that's a good question. And again, we haven't talked about the 50 to $76 because it's irrelevant. It just means that it's 15% of what money has gone in from your employer. Yeah, and that's going to vary based on obviously what you earn and overtime and bonuses and all that sort of stuff as well, right? Yeah. There's another question here that's kind of got to do with super. I'll get John to read that. So, Matt, Matt Adams has said, hey, capital gains question. We'll have to pay about 80 to 90K in capital gains next year. I hear I can put some dollars into super and reduce my CGT to around 65 to 70 Question, do you know any other ways to reduce this if possible? So, hello, Maddie Adams. Uh, I know Matthew. Uh, he's a Coasty slash Novocastrian. Now, how this works, similar to the superannuation contributions, capital gains tax or CGT, it's basically the gain if, John, you sold that property and you made $100,000. You've held it for more than 12 months. So, we can use the 12-month 50% discount rule. So, that means we use 50% of that gain. So, $50,000 gets lumped onto our taxable income and you just pay tax at normal marginal tax rates. Now, you could, like we're talking with Lucy, your marginal tax rate outside of super could be 30%. So, what you could do is, well, I might make a personal contribution of $10,000 to superannuation, which reduces my gain outside of super that I'm paying tax on from $50,000 to $40,000, which I'll claim on my tax return as a superannuation contribution, but you'll still pay the 15% tax inside super. Yeah. So, if he's, if they've already maxed out their contributions, there's no savings there as such, is there? No, that's right. I mean, and this is the whole thing with tax planning. I mean, it isn't at the end of the financial year. So, if it was an investment property, which it was because you're paying tax on it, it might be that with your strategy, we sell the property in July. Mm. So, we don't have income from the property on our tax return. Yeah. Or, you know, you just, again, you've got to make sure once you start being a professional investor Mm. and want to really nail down on that, 
like you were with me with my annual tax planning meeting mm. in June. Yeah, that's right. We rocked up to do an episode. I'm having my annual tax <laughs> meeting and I say, oh, John, he can just come in. I don't care if he... That actually, um, that actually worked in our favour a few months back. Um, a, a vendor wanted to have the contract of sale on July 1 and it was like middle of May. Yeah, right. And we were prepared to hang out until then, didn't worry us, as mm. long as we'd locked in the price and... All was good. So with the um, so for example, if Matthew sold that property and he he has that gain sitting on his um, tax return, well, that's going to get washed up uh, for the twenty twenty two return from June. I mean, theoretically, if he had another house, he would have all that money sitting on, sitting on his offset account during the year, mm. and then on the twenty seventh of June, um, just to make sure you get in, then throw some money into super. Yeah. On the proviso that you know that you can't access that money. And that's the trade-off. Yeah. You lower tax, but you can't get your mitts on it for the long term. And don't take the rest of the year off just to avoid paying capital gains tax. Yeah. <laughs> but, and this is the thing, John, like some with tax planning, you know, in this situation, uh, there's some flexibility with deductions like throughout this year, like Matthew might want to, he might have been planning to make a $10,000 donation to a deductible charity of his choice. Mm. Well, I'll wait till next financial year because that's when I'm going to sell the property be better yeah. for my deductions. There's, you know, you've just got to be, you've got to look ahead. And that's why with your um, money world, you can't be ad hoc and flippant because it can cost you money. Yeah. But I think like, it's a good question from Matt and, and it's really taking ownership around that as well and not just relying on your accountant to deliver a result for you. Mm. So like they're working around the clock to get everyone's tax returns done. They could easily oversight something and, and if you're not aware of it, it, um, you may never pick that up. Mm, love it. All right, peeps, we might leave it there. If you've enjoyed the episode today, please feel free to jump on to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a nice review. Uh, we'd appreciate that. If you're under 24 and you want to have a listen to Gen Z Money, uh, this week, which was yesterday, if you're listening to this live, I did an episode with Azaria. Uh, we did about a lot around that loot mindset, like mm. life on your own terms yeah. and got really philosophical so head over and have a listen to me talk to Azaria Bell on Gen Z money she's very good and yeah we'll we'll see you next week guys all right sounds good bye bye we acknowledge the dark and young people traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present we extend that respect to aboriginal and torres strait islander peoples who may listen to our podcast my Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. So, you know how this book stuff's happening? Yes. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't believe what happened the other day. So, the publicist has locked in all these media interviews, right? So, I've done radio stations and yep. today I did uh, Central Coast ABC Radio. <laughs> nice. Oh, so, for the three people that listen to that, you yeah. know, I promoted the book. And so, anyway, last weekend, or whenever it was, when Daylight Savings hit, my wonderful Rachel, and I don't think it was her, I think it was some type of confusion up the line. She's put a, a, an entry in my diary uh, with a radio station in Illawarra or Wollongong, somewhere like, I don't even know. I, there's been that many that I'm just like, they call me and I chat. Hmm. So anyway, last week, forget what day it was, maybe Friday morning, I'd planned my day. I'm like, yep, um, I'll wake up at 8 a.m., you know, I'll have a shower, drive down to Glearna, I'll get a coffee, get a burrito, cruise across to Terrigal or whatever, um, sit there, have breakfast in the car, watch the ocean, do my radio interview in the car, have some phone calls, and then I'll get on my merry day, right? 
laying in bed. So that was going to be at 10 past nine. Laying in bed, 8.06 a.m., I'd just woken up, got this call from Batemans Bay. I'm like, who the bloody hell's calling me from Batemans Bay? Anyway, it'd been booked on Queensland time. Ah, shite. So I jumped up. And you know when you first wake up, Uh, someone could ask you like, um, hi, sir, what's your name? And you're just like, oh, oh, I don't know. Uh, What's my name? Um, Yep. So anyway, oh, hi, Glenn. It's so-and-so from whatever radio. You right to go on in two minutes? I'm like, yep. (laughs) I've jumped up. Oh, I'm like, (laughs) unique New York trying to like wake up. Shit. Anyway, run downstairs. I'm in my underwear. (laughs) Threw down a glass of water, goggled, standing in here in my underwear. Like, oh, now we've got Glenn James from, <laughs> yes. you know, My Millennial Money. And I did this interview, like, I was literally awake three minutes before. Eight o'clock. Damn. Oh, it just threw my whole day out of sync. How long did you yarn for? It's 10 minutes. Was it? Yeah. yeah. You know what? Like, you've, it's almost like it could have worked out to be a really good interview because yeah. I was like so focused and pretending that I had been awake for yeah, two hours. Sometimes it's better. You don't overthink it too either. Yeah. As long as they had questions for you. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's just, oh, I couldn't believe it. So you're feeling like a, a right role superstar. Oh, I don't know about that, John. I'm just out here having a bit of a go. Nah, it's good. Um, Sales are up. Yeah, well, Amazon and uh, Booktopia sold out, so... Have they? Yeah, and we're getting some good responses and I'm getting the responses that I wanted to get and people saying, hey, I like how there's lots of diagrams, mm. lots of space, because mm. um, I really wrote it for people like me. Yeah, to write people, uh, write things down. And- well, just space, like don't yeah. cramp me, don't overwhelm me, yeah. like, be a visual learner. Yeah, um, I saw a book the other day that was right from edge to edge. Like there was no gaps. Yeah, well, I'll show you. Out on my table, I bought the book, The Intelligent Investor. All right. And it's this hugely popular book. But to a point, if you're just getting started with investing, it's just, I think it's just way too much. Mm. Like it's seriously that thick. Yeah. And it's just so full on. Mm. I mean, it's going to be awesome and I'm going to, you know, have a read of it. Uh, but- yeah, I just wanted as a, a starter to beginner intermediate, just yeah. kind of plot things out and not just cram and... Yeah. No, it needs to be user-friendly, mm, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. So Yeah, well, that's good. All right, my friend. So I think um, I reckon the tour might even end up going ahead in December. Well, it looks positive, doesn't it? Yeah, like Sydney's going to be back to 80%. Yeah. Um, I just don't want to do it with wearing masks. No, it's not going to be ideal. Mm. You see um, the knock on my nose? Yeah, well, I forgot to... So Thursday night, mm. boys are playing cricket. It's cricket season, of course. So they've got their new pads and gloves and Charlie's having his game with everyone else and so Max and I are in the nets next to it. And uh, What nets do you go to? Oh, I was training down near the entrance there, near the greens. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so he's belted one back at me and it's hit the corner of the net right at the end and ricocheted right direct onto my snoz. So did it bleed, did it? Oh, it nearly broke. I really? thought it had broken. Yeah. Gosh. So right on the seam of the cricket ball as well. It was like seam on nose. Yeah, like I saw you. You had a photo on Insta the other day mm. when you rode up to the dam. Yeah, did you I'm notice like, it there? Yeah, I'm like, what the bloody hell's <laughs> on his nose? Yeah, it wasn't a mozzie. Mm, gosh, so wild. So there you go. If any cricketers out there, just cover your snoz mm. or just have better reaction than I do. Yeah, that's crazy. Anyway, well, well you got to go. Yes. Uh, but thanks, everyone, for listening. We like to kind of just talk a bit of smack at the end of the yeah the potty. But, uh, yeah, we'll Did be- you read the AFR today? Not yet. What's in it? Mm. 13 Rules of Life from uh, Jordan Jack-, Peterson. Jack Cowan. Oh. Mm. Jack Cowan, who's that? Uh, he's the founder of, well, he, he brought Burger King to Australia, which turned it into Hungry Jack's and right. started making some pizzas, which ended up being Domino's. Oh, yeah, here we go. Mm. Oh, let's just click. Oh, of course, they're advertising their new podcast. Yes. Um, number one, if you lose your health, nothing else matters. Number two, if you lose your integrity, no amount of success will be meaningful. Number three, control your own destiny. Number four, be prepared to take some risks. Five, but there are some caveats to risk. Don't bet the farm. You know, that's a caveat with that is crypto. A good caveat. Yep. 
uh, counterbalance the risk. Keep some powder dry. That's a good one. It is a very I've good actually one, just transferred some money over to my self wealth trading account uh, just to sit on the sidelines. You've kept some powder dry. Just keep some powder dry. Um, you know, on top of my regular thing, if I see an opportunity, um, I'm, I'm going to jump in. In fact, remind me when we press stop, I'll tell you about an IPO. Right. Uh, number nine, or no, eight, find a tolerant partner. Number nine, never give up if you think you're right. 10, laugh at yourself. 11, life is about dealing with people. 12, focus. And 13, understand the business. Mm. Very good from Jack. 79, still going strong, doesn't want to retire. Yeah, wow. So no fire for Jack. Um, do you pay for the AFR app? Uh, yeah, pay for the package monthly. Yeah. Do you get um, the hard paper delivered? No, I think I'm going back to it though. I, really? I like uh, just the weekend, I think. Yeah, right. Grab a coffee after a ride and open up the the paper and get a bit of ink on the fingers. Mm, mm. You? No, nah, just the app here. Just the app. Yeah. I'm just having a look here. Um Anyway, all right. Like any uni students out there, mm. cheapest chips, like $6 a month or something, $12 a month. It's it's the only um, media that I pay for, mm. like news that I pay for. Yeah, same. In fact, I'm actually doing some, I think AFR is going to do an advertising campaign on the podcast. Are they? Yeah, just some- Good on them. Some ads. That's good. So. Good stuff. Oh, hang on. I reckon they want to advertise their podcast. Maybe that's what they want to do. Well, if they want to pay me, I don't care. Good on them. All right, later. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.